0: Thank you for listening to the podcast of Antioch Church, a Christian community in Bend, Oregon, being formed by the story of a God who is making all things new, including us. You can learn more at antiochchurch.org. Thanks for listening. So good to see you all, and I genuinely mean that. Uh, I've been away, if you don't know, for about the last six weeks. And it uh, really is good to be back here and to see you all. I have uh, been hiding backstage all morning, and I'll probably keep doing that because I'm not ready to hug you or anything yet, but it's good from this distance <laughs> is good. So um, this morning, I don't have as much of a sermon as I do just a conversation, and um, My hope is to try to fill you in and catch you up a little bit on uh, where I've been and what I've been up to. Um, And uh, I'm not sure exactly what I'll get through, but I wrote down some thoughts and uh, I'm looking forward to sharing them with you. So is that okay? Okay. We'll see what happens. Um, So many of you know that I recently returned from um, a three-week silent retreat, and the hope was to disconnect from all the responsibilities and relationships that make up my life here in Bend and to create space to dig deep into my own story and into my own soul and to try to discern some of the places that were in need of attention and healing. And so I spent 21 days most of the month of October Uh, staying in a cabin on Fox Island, in Puget Sound, outside Seattle. And I say a cabin, it was really an 80s mobile home in the woods. (laughs) It was comfortable, but nothing fancy. And uh, I had no phone, no screens, no books, no music, no outside contact. most of the time, what I did have was a Bible and a notebook, a few bags of groceries, and a stack of firewood. And uh, I'll give you a feel for what my life was like while I was there. Um, Every day I'd wake up about 5 a.m. and drive 15 minutes or so to meet with the my guide for the retreat, the one who put together the whole experience and who's been doing it for over 30 years. He has a PhD in psychology and a trained uh, spiritual director and psychotherapist. And so we'd meet from about 5.50 to 7.30 every morning. And sometimes it was fairly classic, Freudian therapy, where I'm lying on the couch and talking about my mom and that kind of thing. Other times, it was more Ignatian, spiritual direction. If you don't know the difference, by the way, between counseling and spiritual direction, counseling is uh, issue-focused. So if you have trauma or a conflict or an addiction that you're trying to work through, um, then counseling is what you do for that. Spiritual direction is God-focused meaning the the idea is to pay attention to what it is that God is wanting to say and do in the midst of your conflict or trauma or whatever. And they're both valuable. And so this experience was designed to to bring both of those disciplines into um, a guided retreat. And so at the end of each session, my director would give me a prompt for the day, something Uh, to think about, or a thought experiment to engage, something to pray about, and ultimately uh, to write about. And so each morning I'd get back to the cabin about 8 a.m., make some breakfast, and then spend the rest of the day in solitude. I'd cook and eat simple meals, go for walks, write in my journal, build a fire, take a nap, sit on the porch, stare out the window, Um, Sometimes my assignment was to do something crazy like spend the day with one of my parents and have conversations with them and try to access early memories and feelings associated with my childhood and upbringing. Sometimes my assignment was to write out in extensive detail various parts of my own story, my faith upbringing, My family history, my relationship history, my drug and alcohol history, my sexual history, which is impressively short, to be honest. (laughs) I had a lot of extra time that day. (laughs) And other times, the assignment was just to try to connect with God uh, however I could, through prayer, silence, singing, meditation, uh, journaling. Um, I found this little church, little um, mainline liberal church on the island, about a mile and a half from my cabin, and uh, they had this prayer labyrinth in their backyard with a a really beautiful view of the sound, and so every evening, for the most part, I would either walk or drive over to the church and spend about an hour um, walking the prayer labyrinth as a physical act of prayer. And then there was a bench where I'd sit and watch the sunset, just be still. Um, After that, most nights I'd go home, cook some dinner, maybe read some Bible, and then uh, go to bed around nine. And each day I would write as much as I could down. um, My thoughts, my feelings, my questions, my dreams, my prayers. And uh, bring my writing to the next morning session. And my director would read through it and kind of discern where he thought God was leading us next. And uh, that's what I did for 21 days. Does that answer all your questions? (laughs) If we were having a conversation, I'd assume that your next question would be something along the lines of, and how was it? (laughs) How did it go? And I would say, do you really want to (laughs) know? And I'm going to be honest. It was without a doubt the hardest thing I've ever done. Um, Those 21 days were among the most difficult and least enjoyable of my entire life. You may remember all the jokes I made before I left about solitary confinement. (laughs) They weren't that funny after all. It was lonely and boring and agonizing at times and scary at times. There's times where I felt like I was going crazy. Um, Literally from the moment I arrived until the moment I left, all I wanted to do was leave and go home. Like all my introverted fantasies of refreshing and recharging and resting, none of those things happened. It was long, hard, lonely days. And even now, when I think back to that cabin, it's not a happy place. Not a place I would want to go back to. In many ways, it really did feel like a prison cell. And that's just the solitude part. The therapy part was even harder. Dealing with 40 years almost of suppressed feelings is not something I would recommend trying to do in three weeks. I had, it turns out, so much pent-up anger and resentment and sadness and despair stuffed deep down within my soul. And it felt like an excavator had crushed a sewer line and just crap was uncontrollably flowing <laughs> everywhere. Um, this may freak you out, but I literally had no voice after the first few days from yelling and screaming so much. Now, this stuff would be crazy and difficult for pretty much anyone, but if you know me, I've been like one of the most even keeled, mellow, non emotional people in the world. Like, I don't get angry, I don't freak out, I don't let things like feelings get in the way, I just cruise. But it turns out that it's not that I don't have feelings. (laughs) It turns out that I've just spent my whole life trying to avoid them any way possible. And so as they say in trauma therapy, your body keeps the score. Let me read you a few lines from day five of my journal entry. It's nothing poetic, or in depth, but it's just raw and where I was towards the end of the first week. Today's been no fun. In fact, this whole retreat's been no fun. I'm not enjoying myself at all. I've basically done nothing but cry for four days. Not happy crying, sad crying. Deep, grieving, mourning, lamenting. I feel irritated, depressed, crushed, and alone. In fact, I brought along this printout of feeling words. I've been using it as a diagnostic tool in my processing and writing to help describe what I'm feeling. The feeling words are divided into pleasant and unpleasant feelings. I've probably used a couple dozen words to describe the unpleasant feelings this week. I haven't looked at the list of pleasant feelings once. I haven't needed to. In those first few days, the uh, phrase that kept coming to mind and coming out of my mouth was my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow. I didn't know how else to express what I was experiencing. I just kept saying that. And if I'm honest, the only thing that I could imagine feeling this bad would be like if one of my kids were to die. Like the worst possible thing I can imagine. Like it's not that dull beneath the surface kind of pain. It's like that blinding, piercing kind of pain. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow. I didn't remember exactly where I'd heard that phrase before, but eventually I found it. On Jesus' lips, in the Garden of Gethsemane, as he sweats blood and anticipates his suffering and death. It may sound a little dramatic, but that's where I was. That's honestly what I felt like. So I would assume at this point your next question may be, man, that sounds really hard. But were you able to meet God in the midst of all that pain? And I'd say, "That's a really great question. You should be a spiritual director." Have <laughs> <laughs> um, you guys read "The Shack?" Remember that? The 10 years ago or so? And they made a movie a couple years ago. I haven't seen the movie. And I haven't read the book since it first came out. but remember it's this guy named Mac, whose daughter dies, his little girl. And He goes into this cycle of deep depression and sorrow and despair. He begins to question God and how a good and loving God could allow something so horrible. And Mac finds himself out in the woods and he ends up at this shack. And this shack uh, turns out to be the place where he meets God in um, bodily, physical, human form. The Father, Son, Spirit actually show up in human form. The Father is this African-American woman named Papa. And Jesus as this Middle Eastern man. And the Holy Spirit as this Asian woman. And Matt gets to spend a weekend with them and pour out his heart to them and ask them all these questions and try to understand the meaning of the universe. And in the end, he comes away not with everything perfect and life fixed, but he comes away having experienced the profound presence of God. Um, It's been too long since I read that book, whether, I don't know if I should recommend it or not, but it's an amazing idea, isn't it? To actually get to spend a weekend with the Father, Son, and Spirit, to talk to them, to listen to them, to be with them, to watch the way they interact with one another, and to literally sit in their presence. It would be amazing. And here's what I would say about my retreat. It was exactly like the shack, except without God. He never showed up. And I kept expecting, after a few days, after the first week, after the second week, at some point, we're going to turn a corner here. At some point, there's going to be some kind of revelation or breakthrough or awakening. I kept thinking that psalm that weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. And I was having the worst time of my life, and it was hard, and it was lonely, but I was sitting with this hope that at some point in this three weeks that God's going to meet me here, and he's going to redeem all this pain. And he's not going to solve all my problems or fix me or heal me or whatever, but at least I'll know that he's here and that he's with me and that he loves me. That never happened. It never came. There was no breakthrough. There was no release. There was no awakening. In fact, there was hardly ever even a sense of God's presence or his love. I was truly all alone. Here's my final journey entry, journal entry from the retreat. And you have to know that th- this is not the note that I was hoping to end on. This is not the prayer that I was planning on penning that day, from day 20. God, if I'm honest, I'm disappointed this retreat has not been what I thought it would be. But I'm not just disappointed with the retreat. I'm disappointed with you. I was under the impression that you and I were going to have three amazing weeks together. I came all this way and carved out all this time to be with you. And it feels like you barely bothered showing up. God, if I'm honest, I don't feel very loved. I was really looking forward to meeting you here. And I don't feel like I ever did. I was so excited about being with you. And I thought you were excited to be with me. I thought you were going to heal my heart but instead you just hurt me worse. Uh, You have to know this is not the way I was hoping this retreat would end you have to know how badly I wanted to be able to put a nice bow on this whole thing. You have to know even as I thought about you guys and coming back and giving a report, you guys generously freeing me up and giving me the space to go away and to connect with God and to recharge and to come back new and improved Pete. (laughs) I wanted so badly to have something Exciting, and cool, and mind-blowing, and fresh to share with you. And I thought for sure, even in the midst of all of it, there would be some kind of happy ending. Some kind of bow. But there just wasn't. That was it. 21 agonizing days of sorrow and pain. And God never showed up. So, over the last two weeks, I've been home and I've been slowly re entering my life. I've been processing what I went through and uh, processing with a hopefulness that even with the disappointment in the retreat, the disappointment with God, that somehow this whole thing in the long run would be beneficial or maybe even God ordained. <clears throat> that I could look back and see that there was only one fed- set of footprints in the sand. I <laughs> uh, haven't done much in the last two weeks. I've been in the office a little, mostly been at home with my family. Jen was up with her mom in Canada this week. You know, she's uh, walking through cancer. So I was home with the kids. Um, still recovering. I still feel mentally fragmented and emotionally fragile. In some ways, I think the retreat itself, as much as the intention of it was to help me process some of the trauma of my own life, I think it in of itself was a traumatic experience that I'm needing to heal from. And so I still am in process still recovering, still trying to put the pieces together and reflect on what it is that I went through and where it fits into the big picture of my life and my formation, my faith and my discipleship to Jesus. So I don't have a neat, tidy bow to put on it, but I do have a couple thoughts. And I'd like to take a stab this morning at sharing just a couple thoughts and reflection. In many ways, this retreat was modeled after Jesus' 40 days in the wilderness. And again, my guide and director is the one who designed this whole thing. He owns the properties. He kind of curates the entire experience. And this is the tradition that he's part of, is inviting people to follow Jesus into the wilderness, so to speak. And so Matthew, Mark, and Luke's Gospels all tell us that after his baptism, this significant moment where Jesus is publicly named and affirmed as the beloved of the Father, immediately after his baptism, Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. The wilderness throughout the story of God think back to Exodus, has been this place of refining, this place of purifying, this place where God teaches, not by giving, but by taking away. So Jesus, 40 days in the wilderness, harkens back to Israel's 40 years, moving from slavery in Egypt to life in the promised land. And for those 40 days, we're not told much about what Jesus was doing, what his daily rhythm looked like. At least on my retreat, I had food. (laughs) Jesus' main occupation in the wilderness was to be tempted or tested Not by God, but by the devil, by the enemy. And we know that testing took various forms. When you think about somebody being under attack from the devil, I don't know what you picture, but for Jesus, it looked like his identity being called into question it looked like the devil saying if you really are the son of god then wouldn't you expect x y and z if god really loved you then don't you think he would dot 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 if god was really with you then wouldn't you think Here's my question. Whatever it is that went down in those 40 days, they ended. How do you think Jesus felt when he came back from 40 days in the desert? You think he came back stoked? <laughs> you think he came back fired up? You think he came back saying, Oh, it was amazing. I met God in such powerful ways. I was overwhelmed with his presence. I didn't eat anything for 40 days, and I wasn't even hungry. It was amazing. Because like God himself was my food. You you guys should try it. (laughs) You think that's how he came back? We don't know much, but Matthew tells us this in chapter 4. After fasting... 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. (laughs) On one hand, you're like, yeah, no, duh. But what an interesting detail to add into the story. This intense, epic, spiritual experience. And the only information that the gospel writer tells us is that he was hungry. Jesus didn't come out of the wilderness full. He came out empty. He didn't come out of the desert fired up. He came out weary and wounded. He came out hungry. He came out lacking. He came out longing. You might even say he came out unfulfilled, dissatisfied, and maybe even disappointed. And all of a sudden, this isn't just my story anymore. But this is the story that so many of us find ourselves in. And it's not some particular retreat or Literal desert or literal shack. It's just your life. Empty. Hungry. Unfulfilled. Disappointed. And I'm not just talking about like when life gets tough, right? when the kids are sick or the bank account's empty or one works hard or whatever, that stuff's real and it matters. But I'm talking about something deeper than that. I'm talking about when you bring God to your mind, there's nothing. I'm talking about when you look up, it's like there's some sort of ceiling or, or a wall between you and heaven. I'm talking about like when you look deep into your soul and there's nothing there. And you start feeling crazy. And maybe even you come somewhere like this to church and people are singing songs and clapping their hands and raising their hands in the air and praising God. And it's like, what's wrong with me? it, It feels like everybody else is somehow connected to something that I'm missing out on. And maybe even you do your best to be disciplined and to nourish your soul in the Lord in the ways that you know how, through prayer, through scripture, through community, through communion, through worship, through solitude, through whatever your spiritual disciplines or practices are. I'm going to do the stuff. I'm going to create space. I'm going to position myself to hear from God, to meet with Him, to be with Him. And He's gone dark. There's no one on the other end. When you think about that Psalm, Psalm 42. I want you to not hear it through the lens of the uh, 80s worship song. I want you to hear it as the author actually was expressing himself. As the deer pants for water, for streams of water. So my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? Pause for a moment. The psalmist isn't talking about this thirst that's like this, um, this righteous hunger for God's presence that we're chasing after him and streams of living water are flowing into us. He's talking about a desert where there is no water. And like a deer, dying of thirst, desperate for something, for anything, for just a drop of God's presence. He goes on. My tears have been my food, day and night, While people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one. With shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. He's going, there was a day when I sensed God's presence. There were moments I can think back to those times of worship those times of praise those times of fellowship those times of community where God was so close he was so near but now in verse 5 why my soul are you downcast why so disturbed within me put your hope in God for i will yet praise him my savior My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of Jordan, from the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep and the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. Remember Jonah praying this psalm from the belly of the fish in a moment of desperation facing his own death. By day the Lord directs his love, at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. There were moments in the cabin where I would come to the Psalms, and every day I had a psalm for the day that I would read and pray multiple times. And if I'm honest, the only real comfort was when I would get to a psalm like this, and this one specifically, and say, man, this guy is even more messed up than I am. <laughs> and there's others that are even more graphic, more hopeless, more raw, more honest, like I'm so angry at God and he feels so far away that I wonder if he even exists, like it is so dark, it is so hard, it is so quiet right now that I don't know if he is even real at all or this is all just some imaginary myth. And throughout the Psalms, the prayer book of the Bible, the gift that God has given his people and invited us to learn how to pray, our prayers even more raw and brutal than mine. An invitation to take everything that you're feeling, everything that you're wrestling with, your pain, your anger, your doubts, your fear, even the hatred that might be boiling up within you. Instead of just carrying that around, carry it to God. Uncensored. Unedited. It can drive you crazy, particularly because so many of us feel like when we're walking through a desert, when we're walking through the wilderness, when the shack turns out to be empty that we don't feel like we can talk about that. We don't feel like we can be honest about it. Definitely not with other people, but even with God, or even with ourselves. And unfortunately, so many churches and church cultures are places where we learn better than to be honest about our disappointment. And it's such a tragedy, because if Jesus was hungry, I think we can expect to be hungry too. And if the Spirit led Jesus into the desert to be tempted, to be tested, to be alone, and He came out empty. And lacking and unfulfilled, then I think we can expect those seasons as well. And so some of you are walking through the wilderness. This is what Christians for many years have called the dark night of the soul. It doesn't just mean when life gets hard or stressful, but it means radio silence, a dullness, a numbness, an emptiness, a sense of void, of lack, that you wonder if God's there at all. And you feel like you're moving further and further away from Him. You feel like you're going crazy. You feel like you're the only one that's not connected. And you don't sense His presence. You don't sense His love. I don't know for sure, but I've heard it estimated that at any point, in any congregation, somewhere around 20% are walking through a wilderness. And whether it's 20% or not, there's a bunch of you are that are today. And if you aren't today, it's coming soon. And the only other thought that I would share is that the wilderness is no fun. You don't have to pretend that it is. It is discouraging, it is disappointing, it is hard, it is unpleasant. And, as followers of Jesus, we receive it as a gift. Which sounds crazy. Sounds counterintuitive, it's definitely countercultural. But we somehow trust that even when our experience of God feels more like absence than presence, that our Father is always at his work and that he's doing something that we can't see and that he's present in ways that we can't feel. And I think part of what God does as we walk through the wilderness is help us to separate our feelings of God from God himself and not to confuse our ideas about God with God himself. Our feelings of God's presence, our sense that he's with us, is not the same thing as God's presence. And our ideas about God, our beliefs, our doctrines, our theology, our spiritual vocabulary, our ideas about God are not the same thing as God. And could it be that God is such a jealous lover of his people and hear that in the best possible way. Such a relentless pursuer of his bride. Such a compassionate father for his children. That he wants us to seek and to find him as we seek him with our whole hearts. And the only way we'll really find him is when he exposes that we've been worshiping our feelings and our ideas of God rather than God himself. That we've been trusting In our feelings and our ideas of God rather than trusting in God Himself. This is what many biblical writers refer to as the name of God. Not our mere human earthly perception, not the categories we want to put Him in or the words we want to slam Him into. But the name of God, not my feelings, not my limited understanding, not my ideas, not my doctrines, I don't trust in any of those things. I'm learning to trust in God himself. This is what happens in the dark night of the soul. This is what happens in the wilderness. This is what happens in the empty shack. And the end result isn't that we come back just with more robust theology or more passionate feelings, but that we come back with a radical trust in the real God who is there even when we don't feel him. Who loves us even when it's hard to believe, and who is at work in our lives in ways we can't even begin to imagine. So, in those moments when I find myself saying, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow, and I'm repeating the prayer of Jesus in the garden. I'm not saying that I know how Jesus feels. I'm not saying my experience in that cabin was as painful as his experience in the garden. It wasn't, not even close. I'm not saying I know how Jesus feels. I'm saying he knows exactly how I feel. He knows exactly. How you feel, whatever darkness, disappointment, pain and absence of his presence you're enduring. We'll close with a little C. S. Lewis from chapter eight of the Screwtape letters. and if you haven't read this. It's a series of letters written from a senior demon named Screwtape to a junior demon named Wormwood. And everything is flipped upside down. And so the enemy, when they talk about the enemy, they're talking about God. And when they're talking about the patients or the creatures, they're talking about you and they're talking about me. And Lewis was somebody who experienced this dark night of the soul, had much to say about it. Listen to the conversation between these two demons. Sooner or later, he withdraws. He's talking about God. Sooner or later, God withdraws, not in, if not in fact, at least from their conscious experience, all those supports and incentives. He leaves the creature, you and I, to stand up on its own legs, to carry out the will of carry out from the will alone duties which have lost all relish. It is during such trough periods, much more than during the peak periods, that it is growing into the sort of creature he, God, wants it to be. The prayers offered in the state of dryness are those which please him best. He, God, cannot tempt to virtue as we do to vice. He wants them to learn to walk and must therefore take away his hand. And if only the will to walk is really there, he's pleased even with their stumbles. Do not be deceived, Wormwood. Our cause is never more in danger than when a human, no longer desiring, but still intending to do our enemy's will, Looks round upon a universe from which every trace of him seems to have vanished and asks why he has been forsaken and still obeys. We hold by faith that we have a God who's at work in our lives and in the world in ways we don't know. And that in his grace and in his kindness and in his wisdom, at times that work takes the form of taking rather than giving. Of teaching us to walk by faith and not by sight. And by teaching us to trust not in our feelings about God or our ideas of God, but in the person and the name of God himself. And so we come every week to this God, this Father, this Son, this Spirit with nothing to offer except our own neediness our acknowledgement that we are dependent upon him. And like Jesus, we come hungry. We come longing. We come looking for him to be the one that restores our weary souls. So I'll invite you to come to this table this morning and come hungry, come needing God learning again how to need him. And especially for those of you that are in the wilderness, walking through a dark night of the soul, come as an act of faith, radical dependence upon him, acknowledging that nothing in this world can satisfy your heart, but that he has the words of eternal life. And the other thing I would say is, Receive prayer this morning. As you carry around your doubt, your shame, your guilt, your anger, your frustration, your disappointment, or whatever it is that's going on in your life, don't carry it around, carry it to God. And we have people here that would love to pray for you today. Take advantage of that. That's part of why we need this, why we do this. So I'm going to invite the band to come, and we'll spend time in response. We'll come to the table, come to prayer. Will you stand with me?